Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin, and I am here with a brand new Forgotten Sheep podcast. And our topic for this podcast is Agnes Sanford. She was a Christian writer and Christian teacher, and I will admit that she's been the source of some controversy regarding certain aspects of her teaching and also by being lumped in with people whose teaching certainly didn't line up with hers. But uh, one of the reasons why I want to talk about Agnes Sanford and why I feel strongly that I need to do this as a podcast when I'm doing it is a topic of depression. Now, depression still has a lot of stigma attached to it, uh, even in the church world. And Agnes struggled with depression very much. And she found she found a way out through the Lord. And that's that's what I want to talk about uh, with this podcast. So first off, going back, who was Agnes Sanford? Uh, I, when I was doing some research on her, having read some of her books multiple times, I ran across a, well, it was a uh, stained glass window of Agnes with a little halo about her head. And I can tell you, if Agnes saw that, nobody would crack up more than Agnes, that anyone would portray her as a saint, okay? She was extremely down to earth. Some people might say a little bit too earthy for their taste. In no way did she ever claim any type of sainthood or any type of special relationship with the Lord that nobody else could have. Never did she. So she was the daughter of Presbyterian missionaries to China and was actually born in China, she was a school teacher on the mission field. She was a Episcopalian pastor's wife. And she suffered through suicidal depression. And part of it was probably a postpartum depression. Because of her experiences with depression, she discovered the healing power of God. And her life was forever changed. And once Agnes found out about it, she wanted everyone to learn how to pray for healing themselves, to learn how to go directly to the Lord for what they need and not have to go through another person. And she was also a prolific writer of books, both for adults and for children. So as I said, Agnes was born in China, November 4th, 1897, and she was born Agnes Mary White. Her parents, the Whites, were some of the most hard-working, dedicated Presbyterian missionaries that you will ever hear of. They took the call to missions very seriously, and they loved the Chinese people. And they raised Agnes in a very strict atmosphere, but yet she had a lot of freedom, too. Strictness does not necessarily mean there's no freedom. And they gave Agnes freedom to pursue her friends and her imagination and adventure. And she loved to draw. She loved to paint. They let her buy, uh, I think it was some special seeds for flowers that she grew. And she just loved it. And she loved her childhood and thoroughly enjoyed it. And she grew up in China and the culture that she knew from her earliest memories was always Chinese culture. She could navigate Chinese culture like a native-born uh, Chinese child. Okay, She knew it very well. She knew about their religion. She knew about their superstitions. Um, she knew about all of those things. And so 
There was an incident in her childhood that she believes affected her for the rest of her life. And I'm going to present it as she told it and let you decide for yourself what you what you think about it. Um, one of the places that she and her friends liked to play as a kid was a nearby Buddhist temple. And there was a giant Buddha statue in there. I mean, a giant statue. And she and her friends would run around and play in there, and nobody seemed to care. And she talked about them sitting on Buddha's toenails. There's an image for you. That gives you an idea, too, of how large that statue had to be if a small child could sit on Buddha's toenail. Well, one day, Agnes wandered into the temple, and this time she was by herself. And as she was there, she decided to do what the monks were doing. She... Uh, sat down like they did. She assumed the same position they did and started chanting like the monks. And she didn't feel anything. And she got up and left. I'm sure her Presbyterian missionary parents would have been utterly horrified had they known about it. But Agnes said after she did that, she said it was like there was another voice within her that was always sneering, despising, and scorning her. Well, among her early memories are her parents' grief over disagreements among missionary methods. Now, Agnes' parents believed that they should give more authority to the Chinese churches and the Chinese converts, that this would be the Lord's will for the Chinese to take over their own churches and to run things. That was her parents' dream, was that they be self-sufficient in the Lord. However, The other missionaries did not believe this, and they were quite brutal in their resistance, brutal to the point that her parents were so grieved, they were grieved to tears and grieved to sadness. And Agnes said she was shocked at the hatred that was emanating from her parents' colleagues, and that these people would call themselves Christians and be so filled with hatred. Well, now, looking back on it, we can see the wisdom of Agnes's parents, and we can see that Agnes's parents were indeed listening to the Lord, because China would eventually fall to communism. The missionaries would be forced out. There would be no more missionaries to help lead the Chinese church. It would be up to the Chinese Christians themselves to lead their own churches, and not only Not only have the Chinese been able to do that, they have a strong church in China, even though it's against the law. And they face terrible persecution. They face jail time. And yet their church has survived. And so we can see the wisdom of Agnes's parents. Well, Agnes was grieved at this too and she noticed a sadness that settled over her dad and also a sadness that settled over her dad when um, one of her siblings passed away a little brother well Agnes was always grateful that when she was a young child her parents didn't send her away to school like many missionaries did it's a common practice for missionaries to send their children to a boarding school for missionaries children Well, when she did eventually have to attend formal school, she was fortunate that she was able to attend with her old friends that she had grown up with. Now, when her parents returned from the mission field when she was 15 years old, Agnes had her first experience with American education. This was also when she became extremely ill and required surgery. And Agnes said that for a moment... 
as she was uh, recovering from that surgery, she said she felt her soul leave her body. And that experience, Agnes said, convinced her that there was a spiritual world beyond what we can see. And this would be a life-changing experience for young Agnes because this belief in the spiritual is key to much of what she would do later on in her life. I'd like to talk a little more about Agnes's love for China. You can't read Agnes's biography, Sealed Orders, her autobiography, actually, without feeling her love and her passion for China. She had known China since she was a baby, the people, the culture, the beauty, and the darkness. She loved China and the people dearly. And because of that, she saw in China a beauty that few non-Chinese people are ever able to enjoy. And she could speak almost like a native. And by the time she was 15, she could speak multiple native dialects, including including Mandarin. And she understood the nuances of Chinese culture. She knew how to get along with uh, the locals. She knew how to avoid trouble with people. She understood what was important to them. And so she would respond to that. For example... An important part of the culture was losing face. And she understood how important that was to the Chinese. And so when she would deal with matters, she would try to do it so that whoever she was dealing with would not have to lose face. She was very skilled at this. She saw beauty in everything, from the majestic mountains to the tiniest flowers that were the size of the nail on your pinky finger. And in her writings in her book she explained that there was a dark side to china that was every bit as bright as its bright side and she said we have got to get past saying everybody is just alike she said all cultures are different we are all very different and she said that difference is good and it's something we should recognize and enjoy and appreciate so she had a lot to say about the uh about the Chinese culture, and it influenced her a lot, too. Well, in her teens, Agnes returned to the U.S. She had exhausted what educational opportunities there were for her as a young woman in China, and she attended Peace College, which is now known as Peace Institute in Riley, North Carolina. This was when she was about 15. And despite the fact that she was born in China, and this is, I think this is cool, she was still a Southerner. Now, she was raised in China and Chinese culture, but at home with her mom and her dad, she was raised as a Southern girl. <laughs> and so she was very Southern in her manners and in her outlook, but she felt like a foreigner here in the U.S. Well, she did well in school. She received high marks in a certificate in education, but uh, Peace College was hardly at that time even known out of North Carolina. And so she continued her education at Agnes Scott College in Atlanta, Georgia. And Agnes, being Agnes, lost interest in the courses required for her Bachelor of Arts and instead opted for her own set of uh, her own course, her own course plan, which included writing. And this was no doubt very important. Uh, the Lord had to have a hand in this because that's going to be what Agnes is best at is writing, writing and teaching. So that's pretty much her 
initial adventures in the United States. Her next stop was back to China. So Agnes headed back to China where her parents were and was able to quickly find a position as a teacher in a Chinese school because of her education. And there she met a handsome missionary. He was nine years older than her, and his name was Ted Sanford, but everybody called him Sandy. And they fell madly in love as she was putting up Christmas decorations, and he walked by the ladder she was standing on. Now, unknown to Agnes at the time, uh, Ted, as she would later refer to him as, had already proposed to more than a few girls and had been turned down. But Agnes was in love with him, so none of that would have mattered anyways. You know how, you know how young love is. He was a he was a missionary. Uh, he was a missionary there in China. Uh, one issue was he was Episcopalian, and Agnes was Presbyterian. And in the natural, ne'er the twain shall meet. But her parents, uh, they met with him after he showed a strong interest in Agnes, and her dad thoroughly examined him on his view of theological topics, and he felt that the Episcopalian church was sound enough that he would put his daughter's approval on marrying one of their missionaries. So, uh, Ted Sanford proposed, and Agnes accepted on a condition, and the condition was that they were going to stay in China. And Ted promised her that they would, that they would stay in China. Well, he found them a home overlooking, now I'm going to mispronounce these things, so please forgive me, Hong Chao Lake, and there Agnes settled in to being a missionary's wife. And you know, being a missionary's wife was something Agnes knew how to do from her mother. And again, she knew the Chinese culture. And believe you me, Ted Sanford needed that. He needed Agnes. There's a funny story, and I, I, I kind of hesitate to tell this, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. He had a cook working for him. It was common practice for the missionaries in China to hire help for, like, cooks and housekeepers. Um, it was a way of financially giving back to the community, providing work for um, the people they were trying to reach. So they always had, had a cook. And so he came in one day and he told his cook that he would like for him to purchase a chicken. His idea was have chicken for dinner. Well, Ted was terrible at speaking Chinese. I mean, he was bad. And the cook, he misunderstood Ted. And it turned out the way that Ted pronounced chicken in Chinese was disturbingly similar to the Chinese word for prostitute. Ted heads out. He does his missionary work for the day. He comes in that evening, and there is a girl sitting in the kitchen. And he looks at the cook, and he says in Chinese, who is this? And the cook says, this is your, what Ted, he, he said the word Ted had said, which Ted thought meant chicken. And he said, what? And he, and he explained to Ted um, that she was a prostitute. If the, Imagine the horror of being a young, single, male missionary and your cook has brought a prostitute to you. You know, I mean, it was all a misunderstanding, but you know, wagging tongues are going <laughs> to be very judgmental on this. And so, obviously, um, Ted explained things. He They got the girl out of the, the house, and he needed help, so he so needed Agnes. Well, Agnes settled into being a missionary wife. She worked with a cook. She worked with a housekeeper. She 
uh, helped with whatever needed to be helped with. And before long, she was expecting a baby. And then nine months later, they have a baby, an adorable little boy. That was their first baby. It was a little over a year after they had been married. Now, Ted wanted to pastor in China, but his Chinese was so terrible, as we've just talked about, that he was told there was little hope of him being able to be a pastor in China. And Ted was convinced that the Lord had called him to be a pastor. And as we read the rest, if we follow along with the rest of their story, we'll see that that's true. And so, despite his promise to Agnes that they would stay in China, he began to look back toward the U.S. And he was assigned to be a director of a school there in China. And so he used this as an excuse to go back to the U.S. to get some more education. So, now we have Agnes, a Chinese-born Southerner, in a Yankee home, okay, in a Northern home. Now, there are significant cultural differences between the North and the South in the United States. And Agnes knew everything there was to know about being a good wife in China. She knew everything there was to know about being a good missionary's wife. She knew everything there was to know about being a southern wife, but she did not know how to function as a good wife in a northern home. She didn't know how to do any of the chores they were doing. Again, growing up, they had servants that they hired in China to do those chores, to free up, you know, to give back to the community financially and to free up the missionaries to do their missionary work. She didn't know how to cook, and to make matters more complicated for Agnes, she was pregnant again, and she longed to go back to China, and her husband was spending all these long hours either studying or driving back to school, back and forth to class, and she was so lonely, and his his mother and his sisters, they tried to reach out to Agnes, but she just couldn't fit in. They were very kind to her. She said they, they didn't do anything wrong to her. They, she said they were so patient with her, but she just couldn't fit in. And she missed teaching in China. And she felt like that was the only thing in the whole world that she was good at. And it was gone. And so depression was slowly beginning to set in. And it was going to be a long, hard battle before Agnes was ever free of it. All right, so Agnes has the baby, and this one is an adorable little baby girl. And Agnes's brother came to visit her, and she realized her brother had had a very severe nervous breakdown. And her in-laws, much to Agnes's relief, they are such sweet people, they treated him as if he were their own son. And Agnes said that her happiness over the new baby was soon overshadowed by a cloud. Her husband had been invited to preach at a nearby church, and a visiting committee had shown up. And she asked him, she said, well, Ted, what's a visiting committee? I don't understand what you're so excited about. And he said, a visiting committee is kind of like the big game hunters of the religious world. They go out looking for ministers to hire. And he was so excited, and Agnes was crushed. This was going to prove to be the end of Agnes's dreams of going back to China. He had broken his promise to her. Right or wrong, he broke his promise to her that they would remain in China. 
and Agnes felt like she was completely powerless in this situation. She had no say in the matter, but she didn't feel like she could do it. She didn't feel like she could survive as a pastor's wife in the United States. She didn't know how. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to behave or how to fit in. And so she's just overwhelmed with frustration and confusion on top of having this new baby. Well, Ted, when Agnes brought this up to him, he told her the time was coming when there were going to be no more missionaries in China because they weren't going to be allowed to stay. And Ted was right. He was right. And Agnes said that she had heard her father say that, but she stubbornly refused to believe it. And she believed that Ted was just being, she chose to believe that Ted was just being dramatic. But it's true. Uh, the bamboo curtain, as they called it, was about to fall. And it would separate Agnes from much of what she had known and loved from her childhood. In the meantime, Ted was hired to be the pastor of an Episcopalian church in Morristown, New Jersey. Well, in China, missionary wives were expected to be an integral part of their husband's work. They participated in various facets of it. It was a team effort. Well, Ted informed Agnes that she was just to be another part of his congregation. He said, I don't want you to come along on any calls because your presence is just going to turn it into nothing but a social visit. Now, I'm sorry. I hear that and I bristle. And I'll be honest with you. You'll probably pick up on this as I'm going through this talk. Sometimes I don't like Ted Sanford very much. But don't let my opinion color your view of it. He even told her he didn't need her to stand with him at the door when he said goodbye to the parishioners at the end of the service. He didn't need her help. He didn't want her help. He didn't want her participation. Well, Agnes was a little offended, but she thought, fine, I, I don't even know what to do anyways. So she did her dead-level best to be the New England housewife that Ted wanted her to be. She put all her effort into trying to be what Ted wanted her to be. And see, that's where we go wrong so many times. We try to be what somebody wants us to be and what we're supposed to focus on even when we're married is being what the lord wants us to be well agnes as many women do began to lose herself in her kids and she worked hard at keeping their home clean and organized but as much as agnes tried to be organized and clean it just didn't seem to work out she felt like a failure in every single aspect of her life. And this sense of depression and failure was just growing. And no doubt this is, again, going back to that experience with her childhood where she talked about a voice that would always mock and scorn her. That voice, I'm sure, was busy at work telling her that she was a failure, telling her that she was a bad pastor's wife, that she was a, a bad mother, that she was a bad wife, and all these things. And she grew more and more depressed and more and more frustrated. And then another child came along, and she fell into an ever-worsening depression. Now, part of what she suffered from was a severe depression and what we would call now suicidal ideation. 
Agnes was plagued with thoughts of suicide. Every time she walked by an upstairs window, every time she picked up a knife to prepare the vegetables for dinner, the thought would go through her head of killing herself. This was driving her crazy also, and she told no one. But she did notice that Ted kind of gave her a concerned look now and then, but they didn't talk about problems. And so she kept it all to herself. And this depression, this this darkness, this fog is just growing stronger and more dense. And Agnes is feeling overwhelmed. And I think there's a lot of people that suffer from depression but are reluctant to talk about it because the stigma is attached to it. Or people like myself that have struggled with the suicidal ideation, but you are afraid to talk about it because of the stigma associated with it. But guys, if we need help, we need to reach out for help. And sometimes we may be in a position where it seems like we can't reach out to the Lord. Now, the Lord hears our prayers, but remember in the Bible the the man that was that was crippled and his friends tore the roof off of the house and let him down right in front of Jesus. Sometimes we need to let our friends help us. And sometimes we need to reach out to others and let them know that we have a problem. There is no shame in being depressed. I don't care what anyone tells you. There is no shame in being tempted with suicide. And the church needs to quit shaming people for this. And start helping them. And we as Christians need to make sure that our friends know that if they're going through a struggle. And they're thinking about suicide. And they're feeling overwhelmed. They can come to us and talk to us. And we won't judge them. But we'll try to help them. And that's what Agnes did. She found out that there was somebody that she could reach out to. Now she was praying. She was. She would go to her husband's church. And she would pray. In fact. It was while she was praying that the Lord showed her what she needed to do. But it all, there was a little light that shined in her darkness that started when one of her kids got sick. So here's what happened. A colleague of Agnes's husband named Hollis Caldwell came by their home to speak with her husband Ted but Ted wasn't there but he would be there in a while and so Hollis sat down I think it was in the kitchen where Agnes was fixing a meal and he found out that their little one their youngest child had been sick for about six weeks with an ear infection and the doctors had been trying everything and nothing worked and Hollis said well I'll go pray for him and Agnes said well I don't know why that would do any good he's too little to understand about that I mean he can talk but he doesn't understand about prayer and she had been praying for the baby, you know, and she didn't see why this was necessary. And Hollis said, well, let me pray for him. So he goes upstairs and he tells the little one to close his eyes. And he says, now I'm going to pray for you. And when I, when you wake up, you're going to feel all better. And then he prays for the child. He says, I'm going to, uh, he tells the child, I'm going to ask God to come in your ears and make them well. And when you wake up, you'll be all right. And then he prayed. Please, Lord Jesus, send your power right now into this baby's ears and take away all germs or infection and make them well. 
And I thank you, Lord, for I believe that you are doing this, and I see these ears well as you have made them. Hollis went on his way. He met with Ted. And then when the little one woke up, his fever was gone and his ears were all better. Neither the Episcopalian Church nor the Presbyterian Church at that time believed in healing, but Agnes had witnessed a miracle. And she said that it bothered her. She had prayed for the baby, but she knew that when she was praying, she was filled with fear. She was afraid of what was going to happen to the baby. She was afraid he might die. And Agnes said it was the strangest thing. Before she got married, she didn't know the meaning of fear. She was adventurous. She was daring. She was an extrovert. She was outspoken. And it seemed like everything changed after she got married. She had been forced into this mold that she was never intended to be in, perhaps. And fear took hold. She feared for her family. She feared they would be harmed. She feared they would die. She feared if they were five minutes later than they were supposed to be, she would picture all types of horrible accidents in her mind. Fear began to dominate her life. And she believed that her fear choked out her prayers. Well, uh, a matter of weeks later, uh, she was at church with her husband and the darkness was growing ever worse, and suicide was becoming a more and more attractive alternative in Agnes's mind. And so she was at the altar during the communion service at her husband's church. She was praying and reaching out to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to her heart. And he said, go to Hollis Caldwell and ask him to pray for you. Now Hollis is the gentleman, the pastor that had prayed for her little son. So Agnes went, did what the Lord told her. She made an appointment to see Hollis Caldwell on Monday and cried all the way over there. And he spoke with her for a few minutes and then he prayed for her and that was it. And Agnes said, in all truth, if he had done anything but prayed for her, if he had tried to talk to her or tried to counsel her, she would no doubt have committed suicide on the way home. And even the family doctor, it turned out, didn't think Agnes would live for another year if something didn't change in her life. Even the family doctor recognized the severity of depression that Agnes was struggling with. Well, she said Hollis prayed for her depression, much like he prayed for the baby's ears. A very simple, straightforward prayer, and she said the results were immediate. And she went from crying on the way to his office to singing and shouting all the way home. But then a few days later, the darkness had begun to creep back in. And she went and talked to Hollis, and he told Agnes to come back when she needed to see him, so she did. And he prayed for her again. And then he said, Agnes, what do you like to do? And she said, well, I used to like to write, but I can't now because my mind is dead. And that's how she felt. Isn't that pitiful, guys? And I wonder how many of those listening have felt that way. Maybe not the exact same situation or circumstances, but perhaps you too have been choked with fear or you have been forced into a mold that you're never meant to fit or you've just simply struggled with depression and suicide well hollis said then you must write agnes take two hours every morning and go over to the parish house and write 
And Agnes began to list all the reasons she couldn't do this. She said, who's going to take care of the babies? Who's going to cook? Who's going to get Ted's breakfast ready? Who's going to get his coffee going? I can't do this. I can't even write anymore. And he stopped her. And he said, listen, you've got to stop trying to be something you aren't. He said, you just have got to stop trying to be something you aren't, something the Lord is not intending for you to be. And Agnes stopped and she thought a moment, and she realized she was trying to be the perfect New England housewife, minister's wife, cook and laundress. And this is what really broke my heart. You know what Agnes's response to that was. And I bet a lot of you, like myself, recognize this. But nobody will like me if I'm myself. And then she added, not Ted, not his family, not the parish, no one. And Hollis, he dealt very plainly with Agnes, and he said, Agnes, they won't have you unless you let yourself be yourself. And she said, but I'd have to get a babysitter, and they're expensive. And he said, not as expensive as a funeral. He said, do it, right two hours a day. Those are my orders. And Agnes said he must have spoken to Ted because there were no arguments from him. Ted never complained about Agnes taking that time to write. So Agnes started writing. And, you know, guys, as it turns out, this is what she was called to do. This was the gift the Lord had given her. She wrote a three-act play she called The House of Saul. And she said it was a very cathartic experience for her as she wrote about Saul's experience. And she wrote about it through the lens of mental illness. And Agnes's mental and emotional condition began to improve, but she still needed prayer. And then Hollis explained to her that it was time for her to learn how to pray for herself. I like that. And so Agnes began to pray. And she would say, thank you, God, your power is working through me, and I am doing this work in your strength. And you know what, guys? That is a completely biblical prayer. There's not a thing wrong with that. And she said when that dissenting voice she heard since childhood began to mock and scoff, she would get in the habit of simply telling it to shut up. When those negative thoughts, when those self-deprecating thoughts, when they start attacking us, maybe we ought to follow Agnes's path and just tell it to shut up (laughs) agnes began to improve the suicidal desires and thoughts began to dissipate and she began to find a physical healing too i love it i love it that the lord helped her i love it that the lord pulled her out of that pit of sadness and depression and suicidal thoughts i love it Well, Agnes also began to take an interest in healing. And she did not take teachings on healing for granted. Okay, she... (laughs) Agnes was raised to pick sermons apart to the tiniest detail to make sure they were truly sound. She said it didn't matter who came to preach at their missionary compound. It could be one of the most celebrated preachers of the time. And after the sermon... The missionary families would sit around during dinner and just pick it to pieces 
And she was in the habit of doing that, and she could do it well, too. She wanted to make sure that any teachings that she was looking at and studying on healing were truly biblically sound. And so she started studying the Gospels to see what Jesus taught about healing of the body and mind. And as Agnes read and studied the Gospels, and she also availed herself of commentaries and resources in her husband's library, she became fully convinced that healing was truly biblical. And she began to pray throughout the day, and this would be probably good for all of us, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with thy life. And eventually, the depression stayed gone. The suicidal ideation stayed gone. But Agnes said there was a long season of praying and spiritual battle that preceded that final victory. It didn't happen overnight. It was a tough road, but she was fully and completely delivered. And Agnes said she began to reject the negative and depressing thoughts that would try to lay a hold on her mind and instead focus on things that were good and positive. And I know that's hard to do. But that is part of what we need to do if we are suffering from depression. If we're struggling through grief, then we need to focus our mind on things that are good and uplifting. The Bible tells us whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. So, What did she do? Agnes studied her Bible. Agnes prayed, not just devotions, but she would pray throughout the day. And I know being in the Pentecostal church, many times we frown on prayers of this nature, where it's a written prayer that we would repeat. But if we mean that prayer, it doesn't matter if it's something written down or memorized, as long as we mean it. That's what makes it a prayer. And so she would repeat this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with thy life. And she would also pray, thank you, God, your power is working through me, and I am doing this work in your strength. And the other part of what she did is she found time during the day to do something that she enjoyed. And that's true, too. And I I know my mother was suffering from very severe depression. I believe it was after her own mother had passed away. She was struggling through grief. Uh, I'm pretty certain she was also going through menopause at the time and didn't recognize the symptoms. And she had always loved to work. I mean, she truly enjoyed working with her hands. And she liked things to look pretty. And her back was hurting. She had an injured back, but the depression was just overwhelming. And she got up And she raked a small area in the backyard. It wasn't even a big spot. Probably no one would even notice. But she got up and she got that one small area clean. And every day she would go out there and work a little more and build up her strength. And the depression began to lift. And I can already tell you my mother was doing the other things Agnes was doing. She was praying. She was reading her Bible. And she was seeking God. But sometimes there's some actions that we need to take. And so... I think this might be helpful to many of us to make sure that we take time to do the things that we enjoy in order to 
be free of the depression that would try to take hold of us. Now, I would like to take a moment now and talk about Ted's reaction. Remember when Hollis Caldwell told Agnes that she needed to be herself, and she said, but if I'm myself, no one will like me. One of the things she worried about was that Ted won't like me anymore. Well, when Agnes had dated Ted, she had tried to tell him about what type of person she really was, but she said Ted really didn't listen. He believed, and I quote, as soon as he got me in his kitchen and in his bed, I would be the wife he wanted me to be. Now, when Agnes started to write, Ted didn't say anything. He, let, he, he didn't fight it. He didn't argue. He didn't try to make her feel guilty for not working during that time. Then when Agnes started a Sunday school class for young mothers like herself, he didn't say anything. When she started praying for others, he got a little distressed. He was not happy because she had the phone tied up praying for these people when he needed to use the phone. And he also didn't like to come in and find her ironing his shirts with a young mother in the kitchen from his church that she was talking to. But you know what? Ted adjusted. He adjusted, and what's really cool is eventually he and Agnes would work together in teaching about healing and prayer. Well, that's part one of Agnes Sanford. I love the story of how the Lord freed her from depression. And I want to remind anyone that may be listening, if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, suicidal impulses that seem to be almost more than you can resist, please reach out for help from someone. Ask the Lord to show you who to reach out to. If nothing else, my friends, contact that suicide hotline that is available. There are numbers and there are, you can even text them if you don't want to talk to them. That that information is out there. But please, please reach out to someone for help. There is nothing wrong with that. All of us need help sometime. And I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope it's uh, touched you in some way or given you food for thought. Thank you for listening.